And we're going to read from chapter 9, from verse 14 to the end of the chapter. And you'll find that on page 515 of the Pew Bibles. I'm sure you're aware of the story of Job. He is uh, a man who is remarkable for his righteousness. The devil comes before God and the Lord and uh, the devil discuss Job. The devil says, first of all, well, what do you expect? He follows you because you protected him and everything he has. Take away all his goods and he will curse you. And so the goods are taken away. And Job does not curse God. And the devil comes before God again and they begin discussing Job again. And Job says, well, uh, the devil says, well, if Job had his health, your health is your wealth and You know, if his uh, health was to go, then he definitely would curse you to his face, to your face. And uh, God allows the devil to bring suffering upon Job. And then these three friends who come. And for the first week, they are wise men. They keep their mouths shut. And very often we think we need to speak. When very often we do more good for people when we sit with them in their troubles and we keep our mouths shut. And then they begin their attacks on Job. And Job uh, replies, and the book forms in many ways uh, a dialogue between Job and these men. And this is part of what Job says in response to their accusations that he must be a really unrighteous, hypocritical man who had kept his evil well hidden. Job begins to speak about his relationship with God and how he would love to speak with God. Job chapter 9 beginning at verse 14. Let us attend unto the word of God. How then can I dispute with him? How can I find words to argue with him? Though I were innocent I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. Even if I summoned him and he responded, I do not believe he would give me a hearing. He would crush me with the storm and multiply my wounds for no reason. He would not let me regain my breath and would overwhelm me with misery. If it is a matter of strength, he is mighty. And if it is a matter of justice, who will summon him? Even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. If I were blameless, it would pronounce me guilty. Although I am blameless, I have no concern for myself. I despise my own life. It is all the same. That is what I say. He destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When a scourge brings sudden death, he mocks the despair of the innocent. When when a land falls into the hands of the wicked... He blindfolds its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? 
My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. They skim past like boats of papyrus, like eagles swooping down on their prey. Do I say, I will forget my complaint. I will change my expression and smile. I still dread all my sufferings. For I know that you will not hold me innocent. Since I am already found guilty, why should I struggle in vain? Even if I wash myself with soap and my hands with washing soda, you would plunge me into a slime pit so that even my clothes would detest me. He is not a man like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there was someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand upon us both. Someone to remove God's rod from me, so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him, but as it now stands with me, I cannot. Amen. We're going to sing to God's praise again. Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're going to read some verses from chapter 3 and on into chapter 4. It's actually quite a short reading. We're going to read from Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 uh, to verse 7 of chapter 4. You'll find that on page 1170 of the Pew Bible. Page 1170. Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 26, let us attend unto the word of God. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, though he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until this time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Amen. You would notice in our reading in verse 6, it speaks of the Spirit who calls out Abba, which would have been the Aramaic word a child would have used for his father. Some people call it uh, Daddy, but I think the English word Daddy has... uh, It doesn't have the same sort of, it's too casual a word. The word 
Abba would not have been used as a as the formal name for a father, but there was still a formality to us that our daddy and dad do not have. But it shows how our Lord Jesus Christ must have referred to God as Abba, and how often he must have done so, because it is one of the Aramaic words our Lord spoke that have come down to us through the ages in the Scriptures. It is a word he must have used. The Lord Jesus Christ came to teach us the fatherhood of God. God as father of all true believers. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you are indeed our father. That you are the one who called us into your kingdom brought us into your family, sat us down at your table, and fed us with the spiritual food that our souls desire and need. We thank you that you did not leave us in the estate of sin and misery that our first parents had brought us into when they rebelled against you by eating the forbidden fruit. We thank you that you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world, and that he is that mediator, that daysman, who is indeed able to put his hand upon us both. And we thank you, Lord, for your graciousness to us. And so, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world today. We remember especially the church in Syria, as it suffers under intense persecution. We know, O oh Lord, that those who are very often lauded by our governments and the press as freedom fighters are those who have brought much persecution and suffering to your people. They seek to wipe out the Christian church. They seek to wipe out the Christians themselves. These are not men who believe in freedom. These are men who believe in bondage to an idol and will wreak havoc until all men bow in false worship. Therefore, O oh Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters today. We pray that you would protect them, that you would surround them by your great power and your great grace, that their enemies, O oh Lord, would not be able to find them, that their enemies, O oh Lord, would be uh, defeated that your people would be able to live in peace and worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for reports that the churches and areas of Syria are filled, as even Muslims tired of the fighting and the murder done in their religion's name. Come to listen to the preaching of the gospel and the reading of your word. We pray, O Lord, that by your spirit, that many in Syria this day may find in Jesus Christ a Saviour and a Lord, that that land may come to know peace, because the men and women of it have been reconciled to Christ, and therefore ultimately are reconciled one to another. So we pray, O Lord, for those who have had to flee the land, for your church in exile. We ask, O Lord, you would draw close to them and uphold them. Bless all the exiles. We pray especially for those children 
who suffer, who do not understand what is happening to them. We pray that you will draw close to them and give them, O Lord, comfort. We pray for the uh, societies that are uh, working among them. We pray that as those aid societies bring food and shelter and the necessary uh, things of life, that, O Lord, you will help those people in situations where we cannot even begin to comprehend the situation in which they live. We thank you, Lord, for our own land. We thank you for the peace and security we know. We thank you that in these days the violence that so besmirched our land has decreased in great measure. We pray, O Lord, you will continue to show us this blessing. And so, Father, we pray for the preaching of the gospel in our own land. We pray that as the word of God goes forth this morning, it may go forth with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, that the hearts of men and women would be opened to respond to your word, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that this may be a day of great salvation, and may go down in a day in history as the church is renewed and revived, and to go forth and to serve you. Bless our land and bless those who govern us. Turn their hearts towards you. We fear that those who govern us are men and women with no fear of God before their eyes. And so, Lord, we ask this morning you would turn the hearts of our politicians to yourself, that we may be governed by men and women who fear God above all things. So, Father, be with us now. Enable us to go forth from this place to serve you. We thank you that it is to this day and generation that you have called us in your grace and in your sovereignty and give us the strength to serve you. Bless the week of outreach that is happening. Bless those who are contacted as the gospel goes forth. May they, O Lord, hear with the Spirit working in their hearts that this may be a time that this town will rejoice because the Spirit of God has moved and brought men and women and boys and girls to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Father, bless us, we pray. Be with us now, for these things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our Lord. Amen. We're going to sing This morning I want to do something slightly different from the normal traditional sermon as you know the traditional sermon has three points there's a story told of the minister who was preaching through the story, the uh, life of Abraham and he came to the offering of Isaac and he was going rather slowly taking it a, uh, a verse or so at a time and he first point was, uh, the text was Abraham arose early in the morning and sat with his donkey. And his first point was a good habit, Abraham rose early. An ancient art, the art of saddlery. And finally his third point was a word about the woman at the well of Samaria. Now, I don't intend this morning to have the traditional three points. I want to do something more like a running commentary of the text and to look at it as it, uh, uh, our text for this morning will be found in Galatians chapter 4 
and verse 4. I want to have a quick glance at the themes of the text. Sometimes I like to compare the way we conduct our preaching to visiting an art gallery and sometimes you stand and you look at, at a particular picture in great detail or sometimes you, you, you just take a very, very quick glance at the main outlines and move on. This morning I want us to, as it were, stop in front of this text and just uh, have a, a, a glance at it to look at each part, not in great detail, but to begin to see some of the ideas that the Apostle is putting forward. Because this verse is one of the great verses of Scripture. It reads in our uh, New International Version, But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Galatians 4 and 5. The verse, these verses give us an oversight uh, of God's work. They give us a, 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 an insight into our Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry and his person. And this morning, that's what I want to look at. I want to look at what these verses tell us about Christ and tell us about his ministry and tell us about the great salvation that he has brought for us. In other words, this morning, my theme is Christ and his work of salvation for us men and for our salvation, as the Nicene Creed would put it. The first phrase I want us to look at this morning is but when the time had fully come. But when the time had fully come. Here is the great truth of providence that God orders all things according to the counsel of his will. When we look at the Old Testament, it seems to us to just be another history book but in reality, it was God's preparation for the time when Christ would come into the world. When Christ came, it was the right moment. It wasn't a moment too soon. It wasn't a moment too late. It was the moment that God had prepared. And the whole of history led to that moment when Christ should be born and his ministry should begin God orders all things. There is nothing that happens in this world that does not happen according to the plans and purposes of God. And one thing that needs to be said in our day and age is this includes the things that we think of as disasters. Very often today, Christians would say that God does not bring earthquakes, famine, and all the suffering that we see around us. But the teaching of the Bible is that God does these things. He does them in his providence, for his purpose, and to accomplish his uh, plan and purpose for the universe and for his people. And we today should not be ashamed to say all things are ordered by our God. He had ordered human history he had ordered the history of the Middle East and the history of Europe that at this time the Roman Empire ruled over 
most of the known world. But one language, Greek, had established itself as the language over many nations. And therefore, when the gospel went forth, it came in a language the people were able to understand and to grasp. Indeed, uh, the Greek of the New Testament was written in was very much the Greek of the marketplace. It was the Greek used in the shop and in the, uh, the, 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 the homes of the ordinary people. It wasn't the learned classical Greek of Plato and Aristotle. But God had ordered all these things, that the Lord Jesus Christ would come into the world, and the world would in a sense be ready for him, prepared for the coming of the gospel. We learn that Christ's life and death were according to God's plan and purpose. They did not come randomly. They did not happen haphazardly. They came according to the purpose of God at the moment he had decreed. The second thing, uh, phrase I want us to look at this morning is God sent his son. And here we see our Lord Jesus Christ in his divine nature. We see him as the eternal son of God. The Lord Jesus is the son of God from all eternity. He has always been the son of God. And he will always be the son of God. He has always existed. There is never a time when Christ has not existed. And there never will be a time when he does not exist. He is one of the persons of the holy and blessed and glorious Trinity. And he came into this world at the Father's bidding. But that doesn't mean that he's inferior to the Father. He is the equal of the Father. But he is the one who came in submission to his Father's will to come into this world to redeem his people. It is because Christ is the divine, uh, a divine person that he is able to atone for our sins. And that he was able to bear the wrath of God against our sins. When he was upon the cross, the Lord Jesus knew what it was uh, to be cut off from God. That's why he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was not the cry of a man uh, uh, in uh, total despair. It was the cry of a, of a man. The cry of one who had known from all eternity what it was to have fellowship with the Father. In those minutes to experience being cut off from the Father. To experience the Father only as one of wrath. And it, re- it wrought that cry. From our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the divine one. Who has come into this world. To bear the sins of his people. And to atone for them. By the sacrifice of his life. The next phrase is. Born of a woman. Born of a woman. And here we see the Lord Jesus Christ. Presented to us. In his human nature. He's presented to us. As truly human. He is. One of us. And that. 
is an important thing for us to grasp. That Christ was as human as you and I are. We need not only a divine saviour, we need a human saviour too. He came to shed his blood. And his blood was human blood. There is a teaching about this province that that Christ had divine blood. uh, That his blood wasn't the blood of, uh, of an ordinary human being. But if that was so, then Christ could not be our saviour. He could not have offered himself as a human being to appease the wrath of God against the sins of his people. The Lord Jesus Christ was a true human in all the bodily weaknesses of a human being. He did not have special divine blood. He had the ordinary blood that flows through your and my veins. And it's important today to grasp this truth. For should we abandon uh, this belief that Christ was truly human, eventually we will abandon the gospel. And I will make a prediction here this morning. That in those circles which speak of the divine blood of Christ in these days, in two or three generations, will not preach or teach the gospel of Christ. They will lose it because they are beginning to go astray on who the Lord Jesus Christ is and they will begin to lose his work because the gospel of Christ is that he as a man came into this world, suffered and died upon the cross for his people. The idea born of a woman, the virgin birth is not the main idea behind this phrase. Some people imagine that's what it means, that he was born of a virgin. Now that is true, Christ was born of a virgin, don't get me wrong. But one thing that we must grasp is this is not the main idea that Paul has here. The main idea in Paul's mind is that Christ is a true human being born of a human mother. But he as our saviour was able to earn for us a righteousness. Because he was truly human He can understand us. He knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is, for instance, to be a child. He knows what it is to be a young person. He knows what it is to have to get up in the morning and go to work and come home at night tired. He knows what it was to be hungry. He knows what it was uh, to need to go to sleep. Indeed, there's times in the New Testament we read of him being tired and weary. That's why he was by the well at Samaria that day. Because he was tired. And he needed to sit down. We read of him in the ship, uh, in the storm, asleep. And I think a wonderful thing, he was asleep on a pillow. Just that little bit of comfort in the midst 
of the boat and the storm. The Lord Jesus was asleep. He was one of us. He faced temptation. We are told in the book of Hebrews that he was tempted in every aspect as we are. But yet he was without sin. On the great day of judgment, no one will be able to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you do not understand what it meant to be human. You do not understand what it meant to live in a world of temptation. You were remote and far from us. The Lord Jesus will say, I was human like you. I underwent every form of temptation. But I obeyed my Father's will. I walked in my Father's ways. He will be our judge. The scriptures tell us in John chapter 5 that God has committed judgment unto him because he is the Son of Man, because he is one of us who understands us and understands what it means to be human. We will be judged by a judge who understands us. We have in Christ the answer to Job's plea. Oh, that there was someone who could stand between us and lay his hand upon us both. The Lord Jesus is able to lay his hand upon the Father because he is God. He is able to lay his hand upon us because he is man. He is the answer to Job's prayer. That heartfelt cry we read of in chapter 9 of the book of Job. The Lord Jesus came to render a true human death. To the, uh, uh, because the law of God says we are to die. And if sin is to be atoned for, then that, uh, 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 that uh, sentence must be passed, must be executed. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and he gave himself into the power of death. Death had nothing on him, but he, as the Son of God, sent to be the sacrifice for his people, gave himself into the power of death, and in his human nature he died that day. And it is because he was truly human, he was able to render a truly human obedience to the law. The next phrase <coughs> is born under law. The Lord Jesus came into this world and like every single man, woman and child he was subject to the law of God. He was duty bound to obey it because it was the law of God and he was born as a human under that law. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God. There was not any time in his life that the Lord Jesus Christ did not obey the law of God. In every aspect of his nature and his character, he was the truly righteous one, the true man who rendered to God the obedience that God required. And because of this, 
he was able to earn for us a righteousness. But when we are saved, we are given, as it were, the righteousness of Christ. As he took upon himself his people's sins, so he gives to his people, he imputes to it in the wor- uh, to his people in the words of the theologians, he imputes his righteousness. The obedience that he rendered to God as he lived as a human being. You and I will stand on that day clad in righteousness, but not a righteousness of our own. We will stand clad in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. A righteousness that is applied to us when we believe and are justified. Paul goes on to say to redeem those under law. We are under the law. You and I are duty bound to owe God obedience. And we have not given God that obedience. God demands 100% perfection. And we have not given God 100% perfection even for a moment of our lives. Even our good works are still stained with sin and the fallen nature of man. We are those upon whom the curse of the law has come. We are those who are cut off from God and under his wrath. John says in the end of chapter 3 that the wrath of God abides on those who do not believe. And it's important that we note this morning the cross was the purpose of Christ's life and ministry. It wasn't a plan B. He did not come to offer the Jews an earthly kingdom as is taught in some circles in our province. He came to die upon the cross. He came to bear the sins of his people. He came to redeem those who were under law. He bore our sins on the cross. That's why he had to be 100% man and 100% God. As God he was able to bear the divine wrath against our sins. He was able to, uh, as it were, bear the full weight of the wrath of God. And when our Lord Jesus Christ was upon the cross, he felt the wrath of God as no other being will ever feel it. Even those who are in hell will not know the wrath of God in the same depth and intensity that our Lord Jesus Christ knew it upon the cross. Who has borne the wrath of God most? It is God the Son who has borne his Father's wrath the most. It is because he is divine he was able to bear that wrath to offer an infinite sacrifice But because he was man, he was able to offer a human obedience and a human death upon the cross. 
You see, these doctrines about Christ and the person of Christ, they're not unimportant. They're not the sort of things that theologians sit and think about and discuss because, well, they've got to justify their job somehow. You know, these times that you, you get these things and some new rule or regulation has been brought in or something has to be changed and your main thought you turn around and you say is somebody is doing this to justify their job. They've been made health and safety officer or they've been made an auditor and they've come round and they've got to find something to complain about and something to change. Otherwise somebody will say, why are we employing this person? They're justifying their job and it's bringing misery into my life. And I think sometimes Christians think that these doctrines are the doctrines of the scriptures that we preach and we teach. And theologians discuss are like that. They're invented by ministers and theologians to justify the wage uh, that they earn. But they're not. They're of absolute importance. Because once we go wrong on these areas, we go wrong on the gospel of Christ. We abandon the truth. And there is no message that we are to preach. But the message of Christ. These things are not added extras for the extra team. They are the very heart of our faith. These are the things we should know and believe and teach to our children and to the succeeding generations. Who Christ is. His nature and his character. That he is two persons in one. That uh, he is both God and man. Truly human and truly God. He is this because he needed to be to redeem us. Because we are sinners. We stand in the need of two things. We stand in the need of an atonement. And we stand in the need of righteousness. And my friend, you will not earn a righteousness. And you will not earn an atonement by what you do. Someone else must pay. Uh, someone else uh, must be the atonement for our sins. Someone else must earn that righteousness for us. And it is our Lord Jesus Christ who has earned that righteousness for us. Christ's death provides for us the atonement that we need. The Lord Jesus' life provides the righteousness that we need. Because he needed to die. He needed to shed his blood. We are told in the book of Hebrews uh, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. We needed someone to come and to be an offering for our sins that we would be redeemed. And that is our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. All we have needed, He has provided. That's why He's so important. That's why you can't earn your way to salvation. That's why you can't earn salvation by what you do. Because what you do will never be righteous. For all our sins are as filthy rags, the prophet Isaiah tells us. And what atonement can we offer? We can offer none. Though 
a blood of bulls and goats will not take away our sins. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to believe in him as our Lord and as our Saviour. The next phrase we want to look at is to redeem that we might receive the full rights of sons. And here we are adopted into God's family. And here was an idea the Galatians would have been quite common with because Roman law uh, gave, uh, had, uh, had adoption. And Roman law and adoption was uh, a quite more radical thing than our ideas of adoption. Roman law said that if a man was adopted into another family, he could marry his sister. Because his status was changed, he was now a member of another family, and his relationship with his sister had been broken. Therefore, he was able to marry his sister. That's how radical the Romans thought of adoption. Our adoption law wouldn't allow such a thing to happen. But Roman law did. And it was that radical understanding of adoption that the Galatians would have had. Paul was taking from their everyday life something they knew and they understood. And he says this is a picture of our new relationship with God. Just as adoption gives you a new radical standing under Roman law. Paul says, the adoption by Christ gives us a new and radical standing before God. We are made the sons and daughters of God. He is now our Father. And God is only the Father of those believe the idea that Jesus came to teach the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man is simply not true he came to teach that the men and women who believed in God were the men and women who were God's children he told the Pharisees You are of your father, the devil. Christ restricted the fatherhood of God to the men and women who believe. And as we believe and trust in him, as we are adopted into God's family, as we receive the full rights of God's sons, one of the rights we receive is to call God our father. In the ancient church, the Lord's Prayer could not be prayed until you became a full member of the church. In our way today, it would be as though you could not pray the Lord's Prayer until you were a communicant member of the church. Because it addressed God as Father. Because he is our Father. 
we have a right to address him in prayer, we are able to come to God in prayer. We are able to enter into his presence, into the very heart of heaven itself, before the throne of God. That's what the ripping of the curtain in the temple uh, uh, symbolized. The whole temple and the whole system of courts were built to show men that they were excluded from the presence of God. But when Christ died, that veil that sealed off the Holy of Holies from the holy place was ripped from top to bottom to show that man could approach into the very presence of God because of the sacrifice of our Lord and Saviour. Jesus Christ. Do we pray? Is prayer part of your life? Is it something you do on a regular basis? Do you bring the things of your life to God in prayer? I'm not saying to you, do you have a quiet time? I'm asking you, do you pray in the the everyday aspects of life. Is prayer an important part of your nature and your character? Do your family know you as someone who prays? If we are Christians, we shall pray because we delight to fellowship with our Father. We will delight to be in church because we have fellowship with our brothers and sisters. We have the full rights of sons and it's a reassurance to us that God will guard us and lead us throughout our lives. You see, God's providence isn't active just in history. It isn't as though God has painted uh, the broad strokes of what will happen and leave us to fill in the little details. It isn't a half-completed picture where we come and have to add our little bit to it. You know, sometimes people, they paint uh, murals and somebody will come and they will, they will paint the main outline and then it's up to other people to come and do their little bit and fill a little bit in. Uh, God's plan isn't like that. God has planned the whole thing and like an artist he paints the whole thing. And you and I can be assured that what happens to us in life happens in accordance with God's purposes but that it happens for our good. You know, sometimes as parents we do things our children do not understand and they do not know why we do it. Very young children, they know what they want and very often you have to say no to them and they do not understand why you say no because they are not old enough to reason and to understand that playing with knives is maybe not a very good thing. Or playing with bottles. Not a good thing. You have to come and take them from them. Their tears and their cry. 
but we know better. And God, as our Father, knows better than we do. And at times he has to come in and take from us the things we want or the things we desire because they are not good for us. And at times we will not understand why God is doing certain things in our lives. Pain, illness, unemployment, the crisis of life. But we need to go through these experiences. And God leads us through them and uses them to change our characters that we begin to reflect the family likeness, that we begin to reflect the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. The wonderful thing is that when God treats us to the full rights of sons, he treats us as if we had never sinned. He does not hold our sins against us. And at last we will be brought into heaven. We will enter into our Father's house. We will sit at our Father's table and we will rejoice in his goodness to us. We will be made citizens of the new heaven and the new earth and we will enter into it. We cannot begin to comprehend and grasp the nature of that new creation because our minds are still uh, so wedded with this fallen and sinful uh, world that we know. The new heavens and the new earth will be a time and an era when things like art and music will flourish and literature will reach new and greater heights. The Lord Jesus Christ has done all this for us. He has done this because he entered the world at his Father's command because he was willing to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, because he was willing to go to the cross and there to bear his people's sins and there to enter into death. Yes, he rose again victorious over death. We can be assured that because Christ has risen, because he ascended, that he shall come again and bring to us the fullness of salvation on the great day when we will enter into the full rights of the sons of God. All our hope is founded upon Jesus Christ. That's why we preach Jesus Christ. That's why the Reverend Mr. Coulter comes here and preaches to us Jesus Christ. For he is our only hope. He is our hope in life. He is our hope in death. And he is our hope beyond death. For he is the one. Who came at the right time. Lived the right life. Died the right death. But we might be adopted into the family of God. 
My friends this morning. What are you resting on? What are you trusting on? You're trusting in yourself. Are you trusting in your religion? The fact that you are here this morning and a lot of other people are in bed and their main concern will be is Tesco's open yet? Or are you trusting in the Lord Jesus? Are you trusting in what he has done upon his death? Upon the cross as your only grounds of hope before God? Are you trusting in what he has done as your only grounds for righteousness? Is it Jesus Christ you lean on? Not only for this life, but for the life to come. Are we those who trust in Christ? Or are we those who trust in ourselves? My friends this morning, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Throw your weight on him. Let him be your saviour and your Lord. For he alone was born of a woman, born under the law, able to redeem those who were under the law, that they might become and receive the full rights as sons of God. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son into this world. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ did not consider equality with God, the Father, something to be grasped, to be held onto at all costs that he was willing to give up that glory and that splendor, to take upon himself human nature, to endure the contradictions of sinners, to live among us, to teach us, but most of all for us to die upon the cross, having rendered that life of perfect obedience He gave himself into the power of death that we, O Lord, could be redeemed. We give you thanks that you have provided all that we need in Christ Jesus. We pray, Lord, that there be any here this morning who do not know him. Open their hearts by your Spirit this day that they may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they may trust in him alone for their salvation, that they may receive that atonement that they need, that they may be clad in that righteousness, that they may stand before you on that great day which is to come. Father, forgive us if we have treated these things lightly, if we have considered these things to be of no real importance. We have not bothered to study the teachings of the Scriptures. We have not bothered to understand the importance of Christ and His ministry. His death and His resurrection. We pray this day, O Lord, You will teach us Your truth. 
you will enlarge our vision that we may see Christ in all his loveliness and that we may follow after him for it is in his name we pray. Amen.